Thank you for joining us. Today, we will be listening to Pastor Margaret Mendenhall as she teaches us principles from God's Word. The fear of God, and that's something that we don't hear about a lot, and uh, I'm not going to share on that this morning, but I did run across the scripture I wanted to share with you because we hear fear as a negative, most generally, but then we say you're supposed to fear God. And so uh, in Proverbs 8.13 in the TPT Bible, I ran across this. It says, wisdom pours into you when you begin to hate every form of evil in your life. I just want to go over that one more time. Wisdom comes when you start hating every form of evil in your life. For that's what worship and fearing God is all about. We don't fear God himself. We fear displeasing God through the sin that's in our lives. And that's what the fear of God is all about. So there is a lot of different kinds of fear. The fear we're most familiar with is the other kind of fear. Which I'm going to talk about fear today because... I think every one of us has had to deal with it. I want to turn to 2 Timothy, the first chapter. This is the classic scripture that we always read when we're talking about fear. But I think Timothy was probably just like you and I. He was a little insecure, and he had to deal with fear. And so Paul wrote this to him in uh, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craving and cringing and fawning fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, love, and of a calm, well-balanced mind, discipline, and self-control. So Paul wrote to Timothy And he said, there are two spirits. God did not give you one of them, but he did give you the other one. So we know that we are influenced many times by the spirit realm. And so he calls a spirit of fear a spirit. It's not just a personality disorder. It's a spirit. Just recently, um, probably at the first of the year, I had a huge battle with this spirit of fear. After, After Pastor went on to heaven and left me here, in this place, to do this, there would be days that I, you didn't see this, but I'm just telling you, this happened. I would be a basket case. In the nighttime hours, this would go over and over and over in my mind. Who do you think you are 
to think that you could fill pastor's shoes. Who do you think you are that you could take this wonderful church and be a leader in this church? Who do you think you are? And it would just go over and over and over, and I would battle it over and over. And sometimes I know my kids experience the blood of it sometimes. I, I know one time I told Brad, I said, Brad, I can't do this. Come over here, pastor this church. <clears throat> and I was just, I was, then the next day I would wake up and I'd think, yeah, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is my source of anointing. I don't have to do it on my own. And I mean, it would just be like superwoman would just burst out. And then the next day it would be like, oh God, I can't do this. And it was back and forth and back and forth. Finally, I said, I said to God, God, you're going to have to do something about this because this battle is getting to me. And uh, I got a phone call from a friend of mine from a long ways back. We had been friends years and years ago, just early on in, our, in, this, in the history of this church. And then she and her husband had started another church in another town. And... Um, in the process of time, uh, she lost her husband, and she became the pastor of the church. So she called me, and she said, uh, and, and we had the best conversation. It was just good to hook back up with her again, and, and she said, let's just meet for lunch. So we met for lunch and had just the best time, and I thought, I've been missing this all these years, and... Um, then the next morning, she called me very, 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 very early. And she said, Margaret, I was praying this morning, and I got a word from the Lord for you. And so she gave me the word, and it was an awesome word. It was the same, you know, what, what the Holy Spirit had been trying to tell me all this time. You can do it. You can do it. Da, 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 you know, all that stuff. I won't tell you the exact words. but And then before she hung up, she said, Margaret, I just feel led to pray with you about a Jezebel spirit. And I said, okay. And then she began to tell, just, just kind of relate the incident in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah, you remember Elijah, this great prophet of God? In chapter 18, he challenges all of the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Ashtoreth, and there was like 400, there's 400 Baal and 450 Ashtoreth prophets, and uh, he challenged them to a contest to see whose God was the greatest. You remember that story? And how, uh, you know, they couldn't do anything, their God couldn't do anything, but when he prayed, there was fire that came down from heaven that licked up all the water around the altar, burnt the sacrifice. And I mean, the fear of God came in that place and he wound up, I mean, it says he slew those prophets. Now that was a pretty gory sight, I'm sure. He slew them and uh, then 
he prayed for rain. It had a drought. Rain came. Uh, he outran the, the horses, the king's chariot, all the way for like 20 miles. I mean, the power of God was on this man, and he was just a great, great prophet. And the very next chapter, we read that King Ahab told Jezebel. She, he told Jezebel how Elijah had killed all her prophets, and she said, she said, uh, by this time, uh, we've got it up there, go ahead, uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets of Baal with a sword. Next verse. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Well, you would think he would just say, Huh, I can call down fire from heaven on you. But what does it say? Then he was afraid. He arose, went for his life, etc., etc. The whole story continues. But it continues because he was afraid. So Jezebel had the ability to put fear in a minister that could have just stood right up in her face and said, are you kidding me? I just killed 850 of your prophets. You think you're going to kill me? I got a God. That's alive. But did he do that? No. He was afraid. So this friend that called me, she reminded me that, you know, we, she called it a Jezebel spirit. We could call it anything we wanted to call it. Paul called it a spirit of fear. But it was a spirit that was released in order to bring fear to the prophet of God. So when she said, when she reminded me of that, I thought, you know what? I'm starting to understand that I'm in a warfare, a spiritual warfare. Because some days... I would, depression would try to take over me, and I would just, I mean, I would just bawl all day long. The next day, it's like, you couldn't pay me to shed a tear. And I thought, this is just weird. Am I schizophrenic or what? You know? And I, that morning, I had an aha moment. Because I had already determined that this spirit of depression was a spirit, and I could get rid of it. By saying, get out of my life, you spirit of depression, I refuse you in Jesus' name. And it would go. So I recognized that spirit, but I had not recognized that spirit of fear. And so she began to pray for me. She prayed a powerful prayer. I thanked her, hung up, and I detected something had changed on the inside of me. And I, to this moment, have not had to deal with that spirit of fear. I have sensed a strong confidence that I honestly have never had. A confidence that 
I know who I am in Jesus Christ. I know I'm a woman. But I know that I am anointed by God. Because I kept telling God, I don't know if you realize this or not. I'm a woman. Whenever, you know, he, would, he had asked me to take over this job. I said, I'm a woman. He acted like he did not even care. So if he doesn't care, then I don't care. But it was a battle. It was a battle for me. But I recognize that there is a spirit loosed in this earth that came in when Adam and Eve sinned in the very beginning. This spirit came to destroy the destinies of people. Now, this spirit of fear, is, it branches out into, I, I think, at least four different areas, major areas. They all kind of work together, but there is a spirit of, uh, there's a spirit of the fear of failure. Now, this is the one that I dealt with all my life, the fear of failure. And it talks about that in Matthew 25, 25, whenever it talks about the, the servant that had received the one talent. And he says, so I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, and here, you can have what's your own. So a spirit of the fear of failure causes you to hide your gift. Have you ever you known that, yeah, I, I know that I should do this or I have a gift to do this, but oh, I could never do that. You know, I dealt with that whenever I started writing. But I did hear a word from the Lord that says, you're a writer, so write. Well, that gave me permission to try. And you know, God takes what you do, you take a step, and he will begin to, to cause your anointing that he put on the inside of you to take over and begin to make you something that you never dreamed that you could ever be. And then there's the fear of, fear of rejection. We know what that's like. Nobody likes to be rejected. I'm not going to teach on these this morning. I may later on, but uh, because every one of them would take up a whole sermon. But then there's the fear of people, you know, being a people pleaser. Galatians 1.10 tells us now, am I trying to win the favor of men or of God? That is a really good question. We got to settle that in our lives. Do I seek to please men? If I were still seeking popularity with men, I should not be a bondservant of Christ, the Messiah. You know, you can't please God and people at the same time. I mean, sometimes you can please them, but all the time, mm -mm. you can't. So these are fears. Those are three fears that are outgrowth of this spirit of fear. But the one I want to talk about for the next few minutes today is the granddaddy of all fears. And that is the fear of death. Now, we have had death all around us. We've experienced like two years 
of death threatening all through this country through a pandemic. And some have perished, and some right here in our midst. So there is a fear of death. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews, and she's, she's just way ahead of me. You are really good. Since therefore these his children share, this is Hebrews 2.14, by the way. Since therefore these his children share in flesh and blood in the physical nature of human beings, he, Jesus himself, in similar manner partake of the same nature that by going through death he might bring to naught and make of no effect him who had. What does had mean? Used to be. Used to have the power of death. That is who? The devil. Next verse, please. And also that he might deliver and completely set free all those. Now listen, he's giving us a promise here of being set free. Anybody to be set free through the haunting fear of death which held in bondage throughout the whole, which were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. Truthfully, every one of us have been in bondage to this spirit sometime in our life, and maybe all of our life. I know back like it would be like in 1965. When Pastor and I moved, uh, Charlie and I moved to the, a ranch down by Miami, Texas. He managed this big ranch down there. And uh, we had one child, Quentin, and he was, uh, he was about um, getting close to two years old. And he was kind of toddling around. And we lived 20 miles from town. That was our closest town was 20 miles. It was 20 miles from Pampa, Texas. And uh, I would lay awake at night thinking about what if he got bit by a rattlesnake 20 miles from town? What would I do? Or what if he would fall in this well? Or what if, I mean, it, I would break out in cold sweat just laying there thinking of all the possibilities what was going on in my life? I was being visited by a spirit of the fear of death. Now, I have a definition here of um, fear of death. This is the fear that comes from real or imaginary danger that threatens to put your life in jeopardy or endangers, now listen, the comforts of your life. Since death in its broadest definition means all the miseries that sin brings, that's in Romans 8, 6, that's the Amplified, then the fear of death would include not only the fear of the cessation of life, but also the fear of encountering any miseries in life as well. That means any kind of loss of any kind. 
like the loss of health, any kind of miseries that sin brings. Now, let me tell you something. If you think that you can sin and get away with it, let me tell you, sin has consequences. Adam and Eve found that out. God had told them, the minute you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. I don't think they even understood what death was. All they'd ever experienced was glory and life. They just experienced provision. And, you know, it was just like a supernatural life. And they didn't understand it. But the minute they sinned, death took over. Death didn't just take over in their lives. Death took over in the universe or in our, in our, on our earth. And they began to experience miseries. And you know what the very first thing they said when God appeared? I was afraid. For the first time. They were afraid. Sin has consequences. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. So, you know, all of mankind was under that death sentence for centuries until Jesus came. woo And he, we just read, go back to... Um, Go back to Hebrews 2 now, uh, verse 14. Let's look at word. So Jesus came and he, he shared the physical nature that we were living in. He shared it with us and he partake of all of our nature, the same as we. He went through death so that he could bring to naught. Now what does naught mean? We don't use that word very often. Nothing. He brought to nothing. One translation says he paralyzed the devil. Does he seem paralyzed? Not really. But the Bible says he is technically and legally paralyzed by Jesus. Jesus made a show of him openly triumphing over him in it, the cross, the, what he did on the cross. So Jesus rose triumphant over the devil, and then he made you and I righteous if we accept him as our Savior. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and repented, I mean, if you've repented of every sin you've committed since then, I mean, we can't just go on sinning and not, not have the devil uh, have an inroads into our life. But our righteousness is of God. He handed you a cloak of righteousness. And in the spirit realm, you look just like Jesus. And you have the very same authority that Jesus had. And so Jesus came and paralyzed the devil. 
So that means he really technically has only one weapon to use against you and me, a blood-bought child of God. That only weapon he has is his mouth. Now the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes by hearing and hearing the words of the devil. That's where fear comes from. See, that was what I was experiencing for that period of of conflict that I was going through. The words, the words of the devil. You're nothing. You're nothing. Who are you? Are you, do you seriously think that you, seriously now? I wrote down these things, how to conquer the fear of death. You can't will fear away. It has to be displaced. To win the battle with Satan, it's not a power struggle. It's a truth struggle. Satan is a deceiver. His power is in the lie. The truth of God's word exposes his lies. His demons are like cockroaches that scurry for the shadows when the lights come on. Uh, An example from the Bible. 1 Samuel 17. You want to see what a, a truth fight looks like? We're going to look, see what a truth fight looks like. <clears throat> this is a classic story that you're familiar with, David and Goliath. We could probably call the spirit of fear the Goliath spirit. So you know the story how Goliath had... Uh, challenged the army of Israel, and they cowered. His words came out. His words came out every day. See, see, the devil is persistent, but it's a word fight. He's trying to get you in fear to stop your progress or to open up a door for he can come in and do what he wants to do in your life through fear. And so the armies, they heard, heard what uh, Goliath said every day, and they cowered and trembled. And then in uh, verse, um, I didn't give this to you, Taylor, but um, you don't need to put it up. Uh, In verse, let me just find it here. Um, I don't find the exact verse because I'm, I'm reading too fast. But Goliath came out, said the same thing that he had said to the armies, and David heard the same words. But, verse 26 says, And David said to the men standing by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He heard the words, but he had a different thought process. And so we go then jumping over to verse um, 43. And see, up until this time, David, he's, why are you guys not doing anything? We got a God. We've got a God. You hear me? We've got a covenant God. Now his brothers called him, said, called him presumptuous and evil of heart for coming down there. That's in verse 28. Verse 33, Saul called David unqualified. So he went into this fight with these people giving him their commentary. And then in verse uh, 42, uh, the Philistine looked around and saw David. He scorned and despised him, for he was but adolescent with a healthy reddish color and a fair fair face. So he belittled him. The Philistine said to David, this is verse 43, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David, did he internalize all of that? The belittling? The fact that he was unqualified? Did he factor any of that in? No. He kept his eyes focused on his God. The key. He kept his eyes focused on his God and God's ability. And then David, what does he do? I mean, Goliath gets his weapon of words out and David just turns around and pulls out his weapons of words. And David said something. Now listen, when the devil says something to you, it is important that you say something back to him from the word of God or from your faith. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but listen, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the ranks of Israel whom you have defied. This day, he's calling things that be not as though they were. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He didn't say, I hope it's going to happen. I've been praying a lot. I fasted and I'm thinking maybe. He didn't have any doubt said, I will smite you, I will cut off your head, and I will, this takes a lot of faith to say, I'm going to cut off your head when all he had was a st- stone and a sling. He didn't even have a sword. And he's telling him, I'm going to cut off your head. How much faith does that take? I'll cut off your head and I will give the corpses of the armies. Whew, he goes even beyond Goliath, this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, 
for all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and all this assembly, those cowering soldiers back there, shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. And the very next verse says, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. That's the way victory comes. It is a word fight. Word fight. You must out-truth the devil, not out-shout, not out-muscle him, but out-truth him. If the devil can deceive you into believing he can chew you up and spit you out, he can control your behavior. In reality, he is faking Christians into defeat. Several years ago, when Pastor uh, and I owned a uh, uh, Cessna 210 airline, airplane, um, I say we owned it. I flew in it. He flew it. But, because uh, I never did learn to fly it. But I loved flying. And we had gone to Collinsville, uh, Oklahoma, to uh, some meetings over there and landed in this little strip, airstrip, close to the church. And uh, the, the meeting, it was a fabulous meeting. We, somebody had even, the pastor had prophesied over us, and it was just, I mean, he told us everything God was going to do through us and different things. And it, we just was, we were flying high without the airplane. And so uh, as I was walking out, the out of the church, and it was late at night, you know, this, the service was over. We were going to fly back to Guyman that night. So just as I was walking out of the church, I heard these words. It doesn't matter what you got here tonight. You will never arrive at Guyman alive. And I thought, Oh, that must have been my imagination. So we got in our airplane, and we were just half full of gas. Uh, Charlie usually would fly with a full tank, but since it was just a, a little airstrip, and uh, he decided we could probably make it home uh, without fueling up. We'd had to get in the air, fly a little ways, go back down, land at Tulsa, get, a, get some gas, and then go on. And it was late, and so... He just took a shortcut and said, well, we can make it fine. So we were flying along, and we were getting, I don't know for sure where we're at. I don't know if we were quite at Perryton. But um, I saw these flashes of light in front of us. And I said, Charlie, what is those lights? And he said, I hope it's not lightning. But it was. And our gas tank was on E. You know what E means? Empty. We flew into a terrible storm. We, I mean, we, we buffeted. I mean, I, I can't describe it. It'd probably make you sick of your stomach. because Up and down, up and down. And I got, I got vertigo myself. And I was just hoping Charlie knew how to do this. Because we would come out of the clouds and... Uh, 
I would see some lights, and they would look like they were way up here, lights of a town. And I thought, this is not good. You know, this is not good. And those words started ringing in my ear. You're not going to reach Guyman alive. You're not going to reach Guyman alive. You're not going to reach Guyman alive. And I said, there was one time in particular, I said, Charlie, 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 look, that's over there. I can't remember what I said. And he said, shut up. Very nice. But the reason, I mean, it wasn't very nice, but, but it was very intense because what I was doing was instilling fear in him, and he did not need to be in fear. So I won't go into the whole lengthy story, but uh, we would go in and out, in and out of the clouds, and we couldn't. It just seemed like we didn't know where we were at. Charlie will swear that he knew where he was at. I'm not sure that I could swear that he knew where he was at. But uh, it was getting. I mean, the tank was empty. We. It was. It was scary, to say the least. And one particular time, we came out of the clouds, and there was a, a looked like a town that probably had an airport big enough to land. I don't know what, who, which one, what, which town around here it was, but we headed for that, and just immediately the clouds socked back in. And when we got back out of the clouds, it was nowhere to be seen. And all of a sudden, I had an aha moment: the devil's trying to kill us. Duh. And I, that was the moment I realized we were in a life and death situation, seriously. And I had to decide, do I truly believe the word of God or do I not? And that's when I began to say, I changed my whole thinking. I said, devil, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot kill us. Let me just read you a scripture. That just, uh, Proverbs 12, 21, the TPT, says, Calamity is not allowed to overwhelm the righteous. I said, devil, you cannot kill us. I'm going to tell you why. Because we're in the secret place of the Most High. Under the shadow of the Almighty, I say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. It's in Him that I trust. A thousand can fall, 10,000 at my right hand, but I'm going to tell you, it will not come near us. In the secret place of the Most High, you give your angels charge overs to protect us and keep us in all our ways, to lift us up, lest we dash our foot against a stone. No evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh us, you can't kill us, so there. And all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't afraid anymore. Fear was gone. And it wasn't only just a few minutes later, we come out of the clouds saw a bunch of lights, flew towards them, and it happened to be liberal. When we recognized it was liberal, we followed the highway back to Gaiman. We landed safely, and I kissed the ground. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I felt like it. But I experienced what it means to have a word fight with the devil. Now, the, de the only way that we can overcome the devil 
is to displace that fear. Because he's trying to get you afraid because he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. So I want to tell you uh, just quickly in the next few minutes that I have here, uh, a truth that some people don't know. Now, I think most of you here know this, but I want to tell you this, God is not in control. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, God's in control? This earth was given to Adam and Eve to dominate, to have dominion. But they handed that dominion over to the Satan. And the Bible tells us, uh, let me just read a couple of uh, scriptures here. Um, Ephesians 6, 12 says that Satan is the ruler of this present darkness. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. So Satan does have temporary uh, dominion here in this place over darkness. Now I want to emphasize that. He can only traffic in darkness. That means when you're children of light, he technically has no legal power over you. And Jesus told uh, his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, um, whatsoever things you bind on earth, let me just, just look at that. He says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of God, and whatever you, okay, did he say whatever I? Did, did Jesus say whatever I bind? He said, whatever you bind and declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. Now stop right there. Is there any sickness and disease in heaven? Is there any killing, stealing, and destroying? Any calamity in heaven? Then if it's on earth, we can bind it up. Is there any demons in heaven? No. We can bind up every demon that's on this earth and declare it to be improper. It, and whatever you loose and declare lawful on earth must be what is already loosed and... Lawful in heaven. The keys have been handed to you and I. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't need help from God. You know, I can take the keys to my car and give them to somebody else, and I don't have any control over that car now. Unless I'm sitting in a, as a backseat driver, which I'm really good at. But uh, the one that has the keys is the one that's in control. And so we are in control under God's dictation and his leadership. That's the way it was intended in the very beginning. Adam and Eve had, uh, they were in control. But God came down at the, every day in the cool of the evening and talked to them and told them what to do. That's the way God set it up. But many people just sit back and say, well, whatever will be, will be. If it's meant for me to die today, I will die. If it's meant for my child to die, he will die. 
listen, we've got to take offensive and defensive action against the devil because he is out to kill us. And that's why we go through Psalms 91 often here because that is a powerful covenant promise to us. Promise of healing, deliverance, safety. And you know, early on, I begin to pray this over my, uh, plead the blood of Jesus. This is the way I do it. I, I know you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to do it again. I say, you know, Exodus, they said, put the blood over the doorpost. And the Bible says, God will not allow the destroyer to come in and smite you. So, now it's not a blood of a lamb. Now it's the blood of Jesus. And how we do it? With our words and our faith. So I say, Father, I just want to thank you that, I, 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 that you will not allow the destroyer to come in and smite me when I put the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of my home. So I, I do that. Put the doorpost, the blood over the doorpost, and I say, I thank you, Father, that my whole household... And I name them, Brad and Tammy. I won't go through them all. There's a bunch of them now. Takes me a while. But I go through every one of them. My children, their spouses, my grandchildren, their spouses, my great-grandchildren, go through them all. And I declare that they're in that secret place of the Most High. And let me tell you, one particular year, I think it all happened in one year, five of our grandchildren were in major car wrecks. Four of them, uh, no, three of them rolled the vehicle. Two of them, they were traveling together, two of them uh, had a wreck and the person in the other vehicle died. Brooke, our granddaughter, was one, one of the other's car wrecks. She was pregnant with our great-granddaughter, at the time, so I could say five grandchildren and one great-grandchildren was in a car wreck, and she rolled her pickup, all of them walked away without a scratch. No scratch. Except for Brooke, she had a scratch on her wrist. Why did that happen that way? When so many people die in car wrecks and their kids die in car wrecks. Because we took offensive action and defensive action. We didn't take it for granted. And I just want to encourage you today. To be defensive against the devil and be offensive. Get rid of that spirit of fear. And I want to close with Psalms uh, 34. I could tell you more stories, but we would be here a lot longer. But I've proved this out. But I've also proved that whenever you let this slip and you aren't diligent about it, I don't think you have to do it every single day, but you let it slip, the devil will stop try to slip in and get you unaware. I just, I just want, I want your protection. I want this church to be protected. I want you to be protected. I want your families to be protected.
I want you free from a spirit of fear. I want you to be like David's that stand up against the enemies that would come against you or your children or your family. Stand up and speak into, speak into his face what God has promised you. Now, if you don't know what God's promised you, you need to find out. In Psalms 34, uh, verse 4, I sought and inquired of the Lord and required him of necessity and on the authority of his word. And listen, he heard me. And what did he do? Delivered me from all my fears. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, if it wasn't a spirit, you wouldn't need delivered. You don't need delivered from your personality. You might need help with it, but you don't need delivered from it. You need delivered from everything that comes from the pit of hell. And I can tell you one thing. God never created a human, a little baby, to have intimidation in his life or her life. Never one ounce of intimidation did he want in your life or my life or anybody's life. He wanted us to have a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And if we would have talked to Adam and Eve before they sinned, that we would have seen what it was like to have a spirit of love, a spirit of power, and a sound mind. I mean, they were superhumans. And we can be that way again. David showed us how to do it. And we can do it too. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.